electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. It's my job, not just to entertain, but to educate, put it in context, teach. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet me. Nicely, please, as you always do, at Jim Kramer. When you break out that bandwagon analogy, you break down the rally. Last night, I talked to you about how so many analysts, hedge fund managers and strategists came out of the woodwork and came on air to say, now is the time to get in. They're finally ready to embrace my peak inflation thesis and jump on the J-Pal bandwagon. But like I said last night, these people are late to the party, turning it, frankly, into a virtual daughter party. And when these sunshine bulls start getting vocal, it means the market's about to stall out. Entirely. Sure enough, the Dow dropped 170 points. The S&P lost 0.72%. And the Nasdaq tumbled 0.125%. Think about it. This rally kicked off more than two months ago when all these same gas bags came on and said it was the beginning of a bear market and we were going down, down, down. They warned that oil was going to the moon. Diamond hands. Because so much rushing capacity had been taken offline by sanctions and they saw long-term interest rates soaring. Thanks for nothing. Since then, I don't think you could be more, more dead wrong about a prediction. Every one of them. You know what they are? There was a source, King Midas in reverse. The stock market's had an amazing move. Oil's going into bear market mode, and the bond yields are down big since then. Selling two months ago was the exact wrong thing to do. And you were half a year late into the decline. And now the S&P 500 is up 18% from where they told you to sell, 18% from the bottom. I think going positive yesterday was also a bad call. You know what these people do? It's, a, it's an anti-investment strategy they have. They, they like this. They like it. Uh, sell low and buy high. <laughs> now, I- I'm not some kind of oracle, but I don't use the bandwagon insult lightly. I saw too many signs of complacency and froth yesterday. Those signs are still very much with us. Let me go over what I saw on my radar that's so disturbing. First, 
First, today's decline notwithstanding, this market basically hasn't quit since mid-June. That's a long run. The market's gotten overbought. It's judged by the S&P oscillator that I've sworn by by 35 years. It has been at plus six, which means we're due for a pullback. Let's say ripe for a pullback. How accurate is the oscillator? Listen, I decided to get much more positive about stocks in the second week of June when the oscillator hit minus 10. That's an extreme oversold, rarely seen uh, position because it's double digit to, uh uh, minus, and that is really important. I said you had to hold your nose and buy because historically it's almost always worked out. And that's when we high-graded the charitable trust, getting rid of marginal stocks and doubling down on our favorites. Well, adding a few names that have been obliterated, even as there was nothing wrong with the underlying companies. We pounded the table for investment club members daily, why I always say you should join, and drilled it home daily on air at our 10.20 a.m. morning meeting that I host with Jeff Marks exclusively for club members. But now... Now, now we're in exactly the opposite situation. Now I think it's time to take something off the table. Take some profits in stocks that have done amazingly well over the last two months, especially the ones that you may have bought aggressively near the bottom. And that's what we started doing for the club today. Sell, sell, sell. Now let's talk about my second concern. The Fed. People have gotten way too complacent about the Fed. You think commodities uh, down big in the last couple of months? That J Powell's really going to stop tightening? We well, you know what that would be. That would be wrong. The Fed's going to be less aggressive than we expected two months ago, but they're still on the warpath. We learned that when they released the Fed minutes today at 2 p.m. While there are many deflationary forces out there, from sub four dollar gasoline to inventory gluts at major retailers, we're going to talk about that later. Crumbling commodity prices. You have to understand that the Fed's most worried at this point in the, state, in the cycle about wage and housing inflation. And they still haven't made a dent either. So many people retired from the workforce because of COVID and never returned. So it's hard for businesses still to find workers even now. The job offers continue to get outside raises too. I say congratulations to anyone who's making more money. But you need to know that a severe labor shortage is massively inflationary and not sustainable. The Fed will not stop until the job market cools down. At the same time, we have a housing shortage. And even as mortgage applications did indeed hit a 22-year low today, prices are still too high. Unfortunately, the home builders saw this coming. So you know what they've done? Very intelligently, they've held off buying aggressively. And that just creates artificial scarcity. Home prices are up roughly 30% in the last couple of years. The Fed wants to roll that back. Who can blame them? It's right. It's inflationary. It's bad. And please don't even get me started on rents, which are even worse. In other words, the Fed's not done. The market did rally hard when they released last month's Fed minutes, and we've learned that some members were concerned about doing too many big hikes too fast. Fine, all well and good, but they're not done. They're just going to be more deliberate about it, which is exactly what they should be. That's why, of course, that the market then gave up pretty much all of its Fed minutes, uh, Fed minute-related gains. And those gains were so ephemeral and stupid. It's like the words really weren't that much different from what Jay Powell said, but people like to do things stupidly in the market all of the time. Finally, worse for last. I don't like the froth. This rally started with high-quality stocks being thrown away, okay? But we're already seeing the worst of the worst stocks now play catch-up. I'm talking about the mostly awful companies that came public in the last 18 months, either through IPOs or SPAC deals. These have been in free fall for ages. But they've now bottomed almost every one of them. And they bottomed on nothing, nothing good. They just bottomed because the sellers exhausted themselves. Many hedge funds bet against them on the way down and now near the lows. And now those short sellers are, are getting squeezed. Moves like that rarely last. That leaves us where we are now, with the worst stock soaring, having been aided greatly by short covering. 
At the end of every big move, we get a couple of stocks that become the focal point in the entire market. We caught a terrific short squeeze in Beyond Meat, the incredibly underwhelming faux meat company, back in the summer of 2019. But the S&P 500 struggled mightily afterwards. Same goes for the brutal parabolic short squeeze in Tilray at the end of the cannabis craze, again followed by a savage market decline. Then the apes came into the picture. Opportunistic retail investors who learned that you can break hedge funds that are selling short if you just keep buying the stocks that they hate. Now, we call these stocks meme stocks, which is a good name because they are all for excitement, but with no real substance. We had the initial GameStop surge in late January of last year. That was followed by a 12.5% decline in the NASDAQ from mid-February through early March. Then we had six more of these, five of which were followed again by a nasty hit to the NASDAQ, which has led the way higher since June. Average post-meme stock decline is 12% in the NASDAQ. I fear that we could be somewhere like that this time with the short squeezes going on in Bed Bath & Beyond a failing retailer with a gigantic short position that's now being exploited by buyers in the same way that GameStop was exploited. Except GameStop actually always had a really pretty good balance sheet, while Bed Bath wrecked its balance sheet by borrowing lots of money to buy back stock and following that up with a failed merchandising strategy. If you want an analogy, Bed Bath reminds me almost exactly to a T of JCPenney. Now, this stock was at $4 and change a couple weeks ago. It closed today at 23, though it's plunging after hours after memester-in-chief Ryan Cohen filed to sell a substantial portion of his position. Funny how that works. Why did this crummy stock go up at all? Aggressive gang tactic of short sellers. It might not be market manipulation, but I think these people orchestrating this one, let's just say they should get good lawyers. If it continues, and I think it will, then we can see another big pullback like we saw after almost every other meme frenzy. Yes, the froth in that is bad. It's that bad because it's a sign that the rallies run its course. Here's the bottom line, though. Things can still go right. I don't want to freak you out. I just think that stocks need a cooling off period after this miraculous run, and we're getting one for certain. And you should take something off the table, too, just as we do for the Chapel Trust, because that's exactly what you do when the bandwagon is out, because the bandwagon almost always tips over. Rachel in Florida. Rachel! Hey, Jim. I'm a regular caller at this point, so thank you for taking my calls. Love thank the morning you, meetings. Yeah, I love the morning oh, thank meetings. You. The throughout the day. Um, thank so you. Yeah. my question today is about Square. I'm down a little over 65% in the stock. I love the company, but great companies don't always mean stocks. I feel like they do solve a problem, though. I have a long-term investment horizon, like 30 years. Would you suggest that I buy more, lower my cost average, hold it, or take my losses and invest in a higher quality stock? I think we have to have Amrita Ahuja back on. I think we have to have her back on. I'll tell you why. She's the, she's the person who talks to her. She never speaks. Because I think they have a coherent, terrific strategy, but the stock just went up too high. I, agree. I share your enthusiasm for what they do as a company, um, but they are a $47 billion company, and I think it's probably really only worth about $30 billion. So you can hold on, but expect some volatility and some more downside. And thank you for the, for the nice words about the 1020 meeting. I think stocks need a cooling off period after this miraculous run, and that's exactly what we're getting, and then we'll resume our rally. On Man Money Tonight, Pioneer Natural rang the opening bell in honor of the company's 25th anniversary. I just catch up with the company's CEO, and all price but on the money, I'm taking a closer look at the, at the discount retailers, see if any pose enticing buying opportunities. And Karuna Therapeutics soared last week after releasing Positive Phase 3 on its hopeful schizophrenia treatment. And I'm digging into the date, date uh, with the company's top brass. I like what I see. So stay with 
great one. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do we do with the oils now that crude's back down to $88 a barrel? Remember, it was at $115 on June 15. After roaring for most of the first half, the oil stocks have just been pummeled over the last two months. They've been making I'm reluctant, though, to give up on some of my favorite oil producers because these companies are different than the way they used to be. Take Pioneer Natural Resources, my fave, the Permian-based oil and gas producer that we own for the Charitable Trust. Why stick with Pioneer? Because of their generous variable dividend. The base plus variable payout they announced two weeks ago works out to a nearly 15% yield at the stock's current level. Even if the cash flow drops by 50% based on the pullback in crude, highly unlikely, you'd still be looking at more than 7% yield. That's more than uh, ATT or Verizon, and I think a lot safer. Pioneer is a disciplined operator with great dividend protection, so its stock gets more attractive on the way down. Now, earlier today, we got a chance to catch up with Scott Sheffield, the dean of the group, the CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources, when he came to the New York Stock Exchange to ring the opening bell in celebration of his company's listing 25 years ago. Now, there's tenure. Take a look. Scott, it is a pure joy to have you. Congratulations on 25 years. 
Thank you, Jim. It's great to be on your show. First time we've been together in person in a, several years, so I appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you, uh, there's news, of course. The uh, Inflation Reduction Act contains a lot about oil and gas. At first, I was worried. But when I looked at it, I think you were ahead of the game on every single provision that might be negative for oil and gas. No, I thought I'm a Joe Manchin fan. I thought he uh, had a balanced program. We need to use all sources of energy, both oil and gas, both wind and solar, uh, nuclear. We need all of the above. That's what I testified in Congress. I said that the same thing to Congress. So he did a great job. I support almost all the provisions. And in terms of emissions, I think some companies have to be scrambling. I think you're ahead on methane emissions and the tax. Am I correct? Yes, we've led uh, the Permian Basin in regard to reducing flaring, methane uh, intensity. Uh, we've recently joined the Oil and Gas Methane Partnership, which is part of the UN. We're at, we're at 0.5 tenths, half of 1% in regard to flaring. We're going to get it down to two tenths of 1%. So we're not really worried about the methane tax. Okay, now Senator Manchin said that there could be an add-on next bill that would be good for pipeline companies. I think that you've got a lot of natural gas that could be trapped in your company that could, would, you'd love to have more pipelines. Exactly. Uh, I also sit on the Williams board. Williams needs it more uh, because they have to cross several states. What's unique about the Permian Basin, we, it's all interstate. So we don't need federal approvals. So we can go from West Texas to the Gulf Coast to get rid of our, to move our gas down to be exported. Well, let's talk about that, because right now we know that the differential between our natural gas, which did actually bumping up to nine again, and Europe is such that there's an arbitrage and that your company could make a fortune if you could get that natural gas over there. Where are you in uh, being able to export? Yes, right now we're sending all of our natural gas to the Gulf Coast. We're sending some to the California markets. Uh, we will, there, there is more pipelines being built from the Permian to the Gulf Coast over the next two years. Uh, we have seriously considered doing something with Chenier and others on LNG to get it to Europe or to get it to Asia. The, the biggest issue for us is that the next set of LNG plants are 2027-28. Oh. They want you to sign a 15-year contract. So we have to guess what is JKM or TTF going to be from 28 to 2043. You're the best so, and I can't imagine you know what it is. No, I, I don't. So. So, so far we held back, but eventually we'll probably do something. Okay, now, my charitable trust has a big position uh, in Pioneer. And not just because of 25 years, which is unbelievable, you've been right, but because your dividend policy is the best policy in the S&P 500. Tell us how you came about. First, we talked to our shareholders. Shareholders gave gave us feedback. They prefer dividends versus buybacks. They're not against buybacks. So we favor 75 to 80% of our free cash flow goes back to dividends. That's why our last dividend announcement, it's 15% dividend yield, highest in S&P 500. If you look over the next five years with the oil strip declining, it's 12% over the next five years per year. Uh, So we got shareholder feedback like I've always done over my last 25 years. And it's that dividend, we're estimating over 30 billion of free cash flow over the next five years. Now, I am uh, a shrewd observer of everything you do, as you think I am. The stock didn't go below 213. I had a feeling that maybe somebody really smart might be in there buying it. We hope so. So uh, it bottomed down in the low 200s, this recent downturn. 
It's back up above 230, so we're you excited. Still it's still cheap. You still have a buyback. You still have We still have a buyback, and we're a firm believer in buying back. I, I like to be opportunistic. Right. On this recent downturn and this move, we bought back a lot of stock last quarter, and we'll continue to do that going forward. We have a great balance sheet. Okay, so how do you decide? You were the leader in growth when growth was right, but now you're the leader. You understand exactly what has to happen in terms of, of pollution. You are number one in terms of realizing being a visionary of what, of what our companies have to do. But you have some unbelievable properties. What keeps you from saying, you know what, we can really turn on the jets here and take advantage of these higher oil prices? Yeah, I think it's a combination. We have to deliver free cash flow. We have to return it to the shareholders. So the growth days are over, I think, for the industry. Permian is still growing. It's growing about, uh, U.S. production is about 700,000 barrels a day. Permian's at 5.4. It's most of the growth in U.S. oil production. We're growing at 5%, but we're going to do that long term, return most of the cash flow back to the shareholders. Okay, so what would happen if uh, Congress decides that we can't export uh, oil? What would that do to Pioneer? Uh, we have talked to Congress and the president that it would be uh, it would increase the price of gasoline significantly to the American consumer. So if you want to increase the price of oil worldwide up to two hundred dollars, ban three million barrels a day of exports. We're exporting three million barrels a day. You think you go to it would go to two hundred. Take three million barrels a day off the market. It's trapped here in the U.S. And so it would. You're taking that three million away from Europe. So what is Europe? You take another three million barrels a day in Asia. So Brent would skyrocket. Well, and do you think that they understood you? Do they, do they understand you in general, that you're the dean and you understand this stuff better than they do? I think they're starting to understand. They compromised on this Inflation Reduction Act. So hopefully we will not see anything else on the industry All right. long term. Last question. You sticking around? Because I, we need you. No, we're going to be here another 25 years. Hey, Jeff, and so. you want to do that? I'll be too old. Yes. No, yeah. come on. You're a young man. We need no, you. No, I've got the energy. So. All right. That's what matters. Scott Sheffield, founder, CEO, Pioneer Natural Resources. And yes, we are big shareholders for our charitable trust. If you're a member of the CBC Investing Club, you can see everything. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. Coming up, can low prices on the shelves mean big bucks for yourselves? Kramer eyes the off-price retailers next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. Now that the retail portion of earnings season is in full swing, we're seeing, frankly, a lot of not-so-hot numbers. Sure, Walmart beat expectations yesterday, but only because they gave you a dismal forecast in May and then lowered the bar again late last month. 
Lowe's just had a mixed quarter with shrinking same-store sales, although good do-it-yourself orders. Target appeared to turn into, well, let's just say it looked like it did. Uh, top and bottom line misses, pitiful margins, but we know that they already told you they had a problem. They had too much inventory, and that brings me to this piece. See, I think Target's emblematic of what's going on here. This spring, consumers fully adjusted to the post-pandemic reality. So they started spending their money on travel and leisure rather than just buying stuff for their house. Right, they had enough of the house. That caused most retailers to be stuck with a ton of excess inventory in parts of the house that, well, you can imagine, say, TVs or uh, systems that, uh, that surround sound. And that is the bane of your existence when you're running a store because you can't bring in new stuff until you get rid of this old, bulky stuff. Can you imagine if you had a store stuffed with these? How do you have flannel shirts and these? You can't. You just have a lot of these. Get me? As the situation unfolds, I keep coming back to the one group that does benefit enormously from this retail inventory glut. I'm talking about the on-price chains. Think TJX, think Burlington stores, think Ross stores, and my fave, Ollie's Bargain Outlet. Proud member of Ollie's Army right here, right now. Now, these companies buy up excess inventory from distressed retailers for chump change, then sit on it for a while, you know, Kind of figure out, all right, let's wait, let's wait. They have the patience there. And then they mark it up and sell it to you. When you listen to Target's conference call, it's clear this moment is nirvana for these off-price chains. Practically the first thing CEO Brian Cornell, whom you know I think is great, talked about was right-sizing his inventory position. They've been working like crazy to discount these items and get them out the door. Target's executives talked about getting super promotional to move merchandise, dramatically scale down what they're buying for the future. But there's a third component to their inventory reduction that they didn't talk about explicitly. Selling this stuff to off-price change to just get it out of the stores entirely. Stop taking up key store space. That's what I have to look at. It's like geography. And they were taking up like Texas and California. You get it? Like what happens after a company like Target has tried promotions and before they uh, start taking on new inventory for the fall, in other words... It's going on right now. Think of grills. You know how many grills that they didn't need? They all bought a lot of grills. Look at Weber. Look at, uh, look at Traeger. No, don't. Don't. It'll hurt your eyes. The part about taking less inventory for the future also helps uh, these off-price chains. Think about it like this. Target doesn't want this stuff anymore. But the makers of these products have already manufactured them. The middlemen already have their shipment plans. In fact, most of this merchandise is moving across the Pacific step by step, inch by inch right now. If Target doesn't take it, the middlemen have to find another home for these products. And while the off-price stores aren't the best choice because these companies are cheap, in many cases, it's the only choice. Nobody else wants to buy an inventory. Hey, by the way, a lot of times these off-price guys, they come in with cash. That's terrific, right? And also, remember, uh, when you're looking at somebody like Target, they're canceling stuff that they ordered like a year ago that should have been there a lot of time. Or they're dumping stuff that was six months late and it just missed the season. So right now, the off-price chains are getting an incredible opportunity to pick up all sorts of merchandise for next to nothing. But that's a long-term opportunity. It doesn't mean that they're doing that great right now. This morning, we got results from TJX. It's the king. It's the parent of TJ Maxx and Marshalls, uh, and the numbers just weren't good. The company's sales came in weaker than expected, with U.S. same-store sales down 5%, dragged down by their home goods chain, which is always doing so well. But their earnings came in a little higher than expected. Worse, TJX cut its full-year same-store sales forecast and slightly reduced its earnings forecast. This normally would have crushed the stock, and that's why it did open lower by people who didn't know better. If you had watched Squawk on the Street, you would have figured this out. However, as some dug deeper at last, the story got a, little, a lot more attractive which is why TGX only finished the session up 2.84%. 
First, CEO Ernie Herman, who's a bit reclusive as far as I'm concerned, pointed out the thing I mentioned earlier. Quote, we see a marketplace flush with all-price buying opportunities for branded, high-quality product, end quote. Now, that's one reason TJX is feeling pretty darn confident about the holidays. They haven't had a glut like this in ages, as department stores haven't had them in promotional. They haven't had a dump. Not anymore. Plus, while the same store sales were certainly ugly, and the forecast for the current quarter wasn't much better... Management did say that their quarter-to-date same-store sales were tending in line with their guidance. That means the second quarter, the one they just reported, is likely the trough for these numbers, which is why you buy the stock. Most importantly, TJX sounded very bullish about the end of the year. The holiday season is when these stores make everything. They're going to have tons of high-quality products that they can sell at extremely low prices because they pick the stuff up for next to nothing. You need to think of TJX kind of as a vulture. They're just waiting for other stores to keel over. Then they can feast on the remains. You can practically hear them salivating for this markdown inventory that the big chains have no choice but to get rid of. They want the cash and they want it out of the store so they can have the floor plan filled with good product that is working right now. All told, I thought the outlook was very encouraging. Not the numerical guidance, but the qualitative commentary from the management. Couldn't tell from the release. You had to listen to the conference call. Most people don't. And that's why the stock really jumped. Even after this move, it still sells, it sells for 22 times earnings. Feels like pretty reasonable for a really good company like TJX. I like it a lot here. I like it a whole lot. What about the others? We hear from Ross stores tomorrow after the close. Ollie's and Burlington stores coming next Wednesday and Thursday, respectively. But I want to caution you that, again, this is an opportunity. It's about an opportunity in the future, not now. It doesn't work now. TJX did not do well in the second quarter. I bet the same will hold true for the others, especially Ollie's, which has a lot more home goods exposure. One of the worst categories out there right now. The core bull thesis, though, is very straightforward. There's an inventory glut in the traditional retailers, and the big chains are desperate to get rid of this stuff so they can bring in new product for back-to-school season or for the Christmas holidays. And the off-price chains are the buyers of last resort. They're happy to take this stuff off your hands for next to nothing. TJX is practically giddy about the scale of the opportunities here, which is why the stock gives up. Of the, a more apparel-focused name, apparel being really tough. I think Burlington Stores is the second best behind TJX. This was an excellent stock to own until a year ago, but it's basically been cut in half since then. And Burlington's had some of the weakest guidance during this earnings season. I'm talking about same-store sales down 13 to 15%. That's way too much for me. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up having to cut their full-year earnings forecast after they report. Uh, if that happens, then I'd expect the stock to pull back, and that's when I would be a buyer because I think it is still a very well-run company, not as much as I used to think so. I am less sanguine about raw stores. It's my least favorite of the apparel-focused off-price chains. I had a start, uh, just a stunning experience when I went to San Francisco. On a Sunday, I saw Ross forcing customers to line up to enter their stores because theft was so bad, and they didn't want too many people in the store at once. At that store, they only wanted three or four in at a time. That makes me bearish. We'll see what they have to say tomorrow, but historically, it's not as good as TJX or even Burlington. Will they even address what's happening in California? Only if the analysts are brave enough, and I don't think they are. Finally, there's Ollie's Bargain Outlet Holdings. I have a soft spot for this one, given my status as an enlisted man in Ollie's Army, which is their loyalty program. This stock's been a roller coaster for the past couple of years, in part due to the tragic death of a really great man, the founder and former CEO, Mark Butler, whom I loved and was just incredibly philanthropic. Right now, though, I'm focused on the fact that Ollie's has a heavy emphasis on consumer packaged goods and home goods. We know home goods are ugly right now, but that also means Ollie's can get all sorts of great merchandise for very low prices. I think it sets them up for even more of a comeback as the stock's already rallied from the low 40s in May to the mid 60s right now. 
I've been pretty impressed with the quality of goods they have on right now. I just got my Ollie's Army. I just got my flyer today. A lot of Clorox, a lot of Newell. I can't wait to go. I mean, you know, I'm gone with the days of buying the books that are uh, water damaged because they didn't have any good inventory. Although, boy, can you get a bargain in a water damaged book? The bottom line. The retail inventory glut may have torpedoed Target's second quarter, but it's great news for the off-price change in the second half of the year. And that's why TGX turned around today, why if you watched uh, Squawk on the Street, you would have gotten that call. And it's why I'll be watching the others as they report. I want to go to Michael in New Jersey. Michael. Hey, Jim. I just wanted to thank you for all the advice you offer on Squawk on the Street, Mad Money. And uh, the you. poor law student, I uh, really, really uh, appreciate your advice in this volatile market we got going on. Oh, you're very kind. I mean, you know, I was at, at this place, Abe's Kitchen, last night uh, with my wife for a mezcal. And there were so many people who were excited about the story. And I was thinking that maybe some of those people, they should go into Twitter and kind of straighten yeah. some of those knuckleheads out who think that I'm not that nice a person when I really am. Go ahead. You are. All right, okay. so I got a question about GE. I got it at sixty three, sixty seven back at June thirtieth. So what should I do with it now? You should hold GE. I think Larry Culp's doing terrific. I like to break up very much. The aerospace thing is doing terrific. If the medical did not have such supply chain problems, they would have good numbers. But I'm getting increasingly, increasingly excited about power. I think power's got good products, and I think that that uh, bill that just signed into law is very good for Larry. I also think, by the way, that there will be nukes that are built, small-scale nukes, and GE has a hammer lock on that business. So I say, GE, it's working. Stick with it. All right. The retail inventory glut may have... Oh, thank you. Nice, nice, nice person, Michael. The retail inventory glut torpedoed Target's second quarter. But it's great news for the off-price change in the second half of the year, particularly TGX, which you should probably buy tomorrow. Now, much more made money ahead, including my exclusive Corona Therapeutics. After positive phase three results and a host of drugs in the pipeline, I'm getting the latest on this company and what it's doing with the terrible disease, schizophrenia. Then retail's taking the heat. But is it warranted? I'm thinking to the big three. Maybe give you a little take you didn't have before. No one calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Late last year, we spoke to a little biopharma company called Corona Therapeutics that was working on a potentially revolutionary drug for schizophrenia, which is a terrible disease where most medications may work to some degree but have more serious side effects than, than the actual illness. I thought these guys told a pretty good story. Fast forward to earlier this month, and Corona announced the results for its phase three trial of the schizophrenia drug, and they actually were phenomenal. In response, the stock rallied 72% in a single session, and then since it's kept climbing, even as management did an $862 million secretary offering to raise money. Could it have even more room to run? Let's take a closer look with Dr. Steve Paul. He's the chairman and CEO of Corona Therapeutics. For more about this incredibly positive news, Dr. Paul, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thanks for having me back, Jim. Really appreciate it. All right. So, Doctor, you've worked in this field for many, many years, and you know that there are a lot of drugs out there that do good for one part, but then make the, the people's lives worse. So it doesn't matter. Tell us about why Corona works better uh, with the actual brain, but also doesn't have the side effects. Yeah, Jim, this is a very important point. We, we have a medicine that, based on two now positive registrational studies, including the more recent phase three results we announced last week, has very robust efficacy in treating both the positive and negative symptoms of schizophrenia, 
but without those troublesome side effects you alluded to, namely, you know, very substantial weight gain in some patients, uh, sedation, somnolence. Uh, they even produce what we call extrapyramidal motor symptoms, Parkinsonian-like motor symptoms. And our drug doesn't seem to have any of those. We do have some other side effects that are really mild to moderate in, in nature, usually very transient. But without those other side effects, we think we have something very, very important to offer patients. And that's why we're so excited. Arguably the first new drug in this class, mechanistically speaking, in 50 to 60 years. Without being uh, too clinical, can you explain what pathways it used versus what the other ones have used? So therefore why it's so different? Yeah, all of the other drugs, Jim, use uh, the dopamine pathway. They block dopamine receptors and that in some parts of the brain reduces the hallucinations, the delusions, the so-called psychotic or positive symptoms of schizophrenia. But they also come with that added baggage we just talked about. Our drug doesn't work through that system, doesn't block dopamine receptors. It works through another neurotransmitter uh, called acetylcholine and two of those receptors for acetylcholine, the M1 and the M4 receptor, it stimulates and that's how it produces its beneficial effects. Again, without those troubling side effects. So very differentiated mechanism of how this drug works. All right, so doctor, uh, do you think it'll be different enough that some of the more hardcore schizophrenics uh, will recognize that they're better and have to keep taking it as opposed to being cured and stop taking it? That's a great point. Um, many patients today with schizophrenia take their medicines as soon as the kind of the hallucinations and delusions stop, uh, they stop taking their medicine and then they have a relapse in good part due to the medicines don't make these patients feel very good to begin with. If I put almost anybody on one of the current medicines, you know, I, I won't mention any names, you know them, uh, you wouldn't feel very good. Uh, in contrast, uh, when patients get on our medicine and they get better, uh, they don't feel the same side effects. They don't have sedation, uh, mental sluggishness, uh, and none of the extrapyramidal motor symptoms that really make patients stop taking their medicine and then invariably have a relapse. So we think that compliance or adherence on our med may be, may be much better moving forward. Of course, we have to demonstrate that, but it's, it's much more patient-friendly, so to speak. Now, I, I know you use a small uh, patient group and you have very severe uh, uh, parameters. Could this work for, uh, for bipolar, bipolar one? Uh, could it work for bipolar two? Could it work for uh, possibility severe depression? Well, it, it certainly could work for other disorders where psychotic symptoms are prominent. The first of which we're going after beyond schizophrenia, and we have several other important trials in schizophrenia, is something called dementia-related psychosis in Alzheimer's disease. Fully 50% or so of patients that have Alzheimer's will develop these behavioral symptoms, psychotic symptoms, just, uh, un, you know, very similar in some respects to what happens in people that have schizophrenia. We have no treatments for that. The current antipsychotic drugs are almost contraindicated for that pa patient population because of those side effects. So that's the first one we're going after. But you make a good point, bipolar mania and psychotic symptoms of bipolar disorder may be another, uh, another indication for this medicine. Could you please tell people when you say weight gain, there's a great misperception in the community away from that, from your, where the work that you've done, that weight gain means that maybe you put on four or five pounds a year. It's quite the opposite, isn't it? 
Well, some of the more effective drugs out there, people can gain 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds. And Jim, what's been uh, demonstrated now unequivocally is that that weight gain causes a whole bunch of other problems. They get hypertension, they get insulin resistant, type two diabetes. Uh, we're seeing increases in cardiovascular mortality, myocardial infarctions, heart attacks and strokes in patients with schizophrenia, which is which is reducing their life expectancy. So the weight gain is bad, but the consequences of that weight gain are also really bad. Now, the studies haven't been going on that long. I mean, is there any possibility of your worst nightmare that after a year they're ineffective? Well, we don't think so. Uh, we had tested the active ingredient in CAR-XT back at Lilly in patients that had Alzheimer's disease for over six months, and the drug seemed to to do just fine in those patients, prevented the emergence of these behavioral or psychotic symptoms. We had 68 subjects on the drug for a year or more. So we don't think, uh, we don't think the drug's gonna lose its efficacy, if you will, over time, but we're doing studies on that right now. Uh, and, and, and we believe it's gonna hold up. Right, one last question. You worked in uh, the toughest places in the world. You work, they don't have now, thank heavens, the old state psychiatric hospitals. How many of the people do you think in a typical uh, ward do you think would have benefited and had maybe even a fulfilling life if they had the Kuna therapeutic drug? Well, it's hard to say, Jim, but I, I do believe we have something that offers patients a, a lot more than we had traditionally in those days when we had state mental hospitals. Uh, we don't have those as much anymore, as you know. In fact, the largest state mental hospital is the prison system, where a lot of these patients unfortunately reside. So we have something we think that can really help them. We're also looking at the combination of our medicine with the more traditional antipsychotic medicines to see if we can improve functional outcome, outcomes in these patients. As you know, uh, these patients often, not all of them, but many of them are disabled for almost their entire lives. Only about 10% of these patients ever get gainfully employed, for example. Well, look, I just wish you the best of luck. Congratulations on these great results. Uh, there's so many different ways that this can help people's lives uh, that it's just really important that this hits the market and succeeds like we've seen so far. Uh, Dr. Steve Paul, Chairman, President, CEO of Kuna Therapeutics, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate yeah, it. My name's back right. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time the lightning round. Chris is ready to start with Alex in New York. Alex. Hey, yeah, Sigma uh, S I G A ticker symbol uh, T Fox uh, monkey vaccine. Uh, this thing is this thing is up huge. Antiviral. It's up huge. It's up too much for me. It is too hot for this guy. I'm going to Bill in New York. Bill. <laughs> Hey, Mr. Kramer, big thanks to you and your team. Uh, my team is great. Um, I'm looking at some of my team right now. They're, ex they're excellent. Excellent. Hey, I started buying Clean Energy Fuels Corp last year when you No, it's a retarded move. We love Clean Energy. We've done them forever since we started the show, but it's had a nice move. It's time to ski so, so, so. Let's go to Gregory in Florida. Gregory. Booyah, Jim. Waste energy. Booyah. Bye-bye-bye. 
Oh, no, no, you can't, you can't stop that. That is the bull's bull. I hit every day I say to Jeff Marks, who's my colleague, yes, in the morning meeting. How do we not own this thing? How do we sell it? And, and then I just, you know, I take some of the stuff that we are going to talk about later in the show. Okay, let's go to Maryland in Florida. Maryland. Hi, Jim. Right after, Maryland. It's, uh, right after its IPO, believing that it was the future of EV, I jumped and bought Rivian. Then I bought some more. House of pain. I don't want you in that one. I want you to sell it. It's up too much. I just think you can get hurt. It's time to go, Rivian. I really mean that. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. You don't need a handyman to patch up the holes in your portfolio. Kramer has a lesson from the C-suite that could pay off for you next. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. Yesterday, I fumed about how the stock of Home Depot traded down eight points off its earnings release a little after 6 a.m. and well before CEO Ted Decker even had a chance to speak. The actual release said almost nothing, no color, no cadence. You got nothing from it. You had no idea what the despot would say about the future. I was so steamed, I brought it right up at the top of Squawk on the Street, cutting off my co-host Sarah Eisen in her, in her opening. That's highly unusual in the TV biz. And saying that the sellers had no idea what they were doing. I called them a bunch of fools, knaves, and mom punks, the last one I really liked. Sure enough, once CEO Decker started speaking, we learned that Home Depot's core customers, the professional contractors, are spending like mad. Taking advantage of pretty much everything the store has to offer. The cadence, meaning the performance month to date, month to month, was incredibly solid. July, better than June or May. Overall, it was such a good quarter that the stock rebounded 15 points from its low. The people who jumped the gun sold. Before Ted Decker even had a chance to speak, they had no idea how great a merchant he is. Know your CEO. You should be ashamed. They should take the money away from you. Next up, Brian Cornell at Target came to play big time. He had, he, he, he had to do something that no retailer wants to do. He had to shed hundreds of millions of dollars of the wrong inventory. Inventory that got delayed thanks to the West Coast port crisis, and this was out of season. To take that charge is to admit defeat. But Cornell's a big person. He took the hit. It was the right call, even as it hurt the quarter. If he hadn't done it, Target stores would have been sitting on deadweight lost inventory with no one to sell it to, making it much harder to bring in new product, and the same store sales would have gone down the drain. He could have killed Target's whole year. Nothing's worse than a chain that has the wrong inventory with a manager who's too insecure to bite the bullet. But that's not Brian Cornell. He took the hit. Stores are better for it. Oh, and by the way, the mean traders who are trying to break the backs of the short sellers in Bed Bath Beyond would do well to visit a Target near a Bed Bath. Target seems almost to be gunning for the pathetic Bed Bath & Beyond with a lot of branded merchandise that Bed Bath customers want but didn't get because they were repulsed from the stores by the homegrown private label products that new management tried to get them to buy. I'd be trembling if I managed a Bed Bath uh, with all its problems and a Target down the road. I mean, can you imagine? That's... 
I think Target's got Bed Bath One successful branded home goods, and Bed Bath's got Bobcast. Now let's talk about Lowe's, run by the great Marvin Ellison. He put up still one more fantastic quarter. We heard over and over that because Lowe's has fewer professional contractors and more do-it-yourself consumers, that they were at a big disadvantage to Home Depot. It's true that there's a differential this quarter, but Marvin has figured out how to make more money off his customer, uh, consumer customer base than anyone thinks, especially compared to his incompetent predecessors. As he told you right at the end of the conference call, and I quote, the biggest difference at Lowe's today versus when I arrived about four years ago is there is a rigorous analytical process that we go through coming out of all types of promotions just to look at, at, at did we get the return on investment, end quote. In the old days, they wouldn't pivot when they had the wrong merchandise. They'd just take a beating. Those days are over. Three CEOs all doing the right thing, and yet their stocks remain underrated because the sellers just don't understand. Not all management teams are created equal. Some are more equal than others. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise trying to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.